Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Josip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. All righty. Welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. My name is Jussi, and I am normally doing this weekly with Tobias, but Tobias couldn't make it for this episode. So now we have our very first guest, Mr. Tiago Costa, the Azure MVP for Portugal. Uh, welcome, Tiago. Could you tell us a bit more about yourself? Hi, Jussi. Thank you for, for having me in your podcast, and uh, I'm very, very proud to be the uh, the first guest that you guys have here. It's like, I only knew that just right now. And I was like, wow, okay, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, everything is good here. I'm currently traveling again. Uh, this time I'm in, I'm in Germany and I'm basically just uh, training some more Azure architects. Excellent. Is that um, an official Microsoft uh classroom training where you go to the mock content or is it something of your own content so this case it's a mix okay so i'm i'm delivering the microsoft official uh content with a lot of changes um because it's not totally uh currently up to date so microsoft is working on that so i have a little bit of my content so it's like, let's just say it is a 50 50 uh this time Alrighty, so there's your secret sauce and then the official Microsoft content. <laughs> exactly that. We always need to do our secret sauce, you know, so that we basically um, uh, parameterize a little bit more the class and to the taste of the students, to the needs of the students, and also um, to improve a little bit the content on, on my style of delivering the, um, the content. Uh, I think every, every trainer... Uh, if they are not doing that, I think they, they, they should definitely doing that. I agree. I agree. So you are an Azure MVP and I recall you're also a Microsoft certified trainer, an MCT, right? That is correct. Yes. All right. And I think you did some uh, some courses for LinkedIn learning. Was it this year or last year? Yeah, so this was it was this year. This year I launched four Azure uh, Azure courses on uh, LinkedIn. So I have two very popular courses currently, which is one on, on app services and another on Azure Functions. And I have two other courses that they are not so popular, okay, but they are more specifics on for Azure developers on how to scale applications. Um, in Azure, so it's a little bit more more specific, and of course, look, the number of views it's not that high as in the other two. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. Uh, I'll make sure to add the links to the courses in the show notes as well. Alrighty, so great to have you here. So, uh, what I've been up to lately, uh, before we get to the actual content, so we will be talking about remote access options for virtual machines in Azure. So before we get to that, uh, what I've been up to lately, I've been up to lately doing school. So I do school about three days a month and I still have about a year to go. And just last week I had school three days in classroom, but I'm now in the opposite. I am sitting and receiving content. I'm not the one lecturing and delivering the content. And the topic 
last week was supply chain management. I know nothing about supply chain management, but after three days, I think I know quite a bit about supply chain management. So that's that's kind of what I've been thinking recently. What have you been up to lately besides being in Germany and doing Azure trainings? Uh, so I basically have been doing um, also consulting uh, a lot. And this this um, last bit of the year has been totally crazy. Um, and also planning Christmas. So Christmas is a big time for me and for my family. So after this trip, I'm going to take uh, deserved holidays. And I'm uh, basically going to take a period of all this. So now we are in the planning phase of that. Excellent. So probably you, or hopefully you'll, you'll get plenty of holidays and nobody will call you and ask you to visit a podcast as a guest. <laughs> I will be more than happy to do that. And that's Excellent. always for the community and for friends that we, we do those kinds of things for sure. Indeed. Alrighty. So let's get to the content. <clears throat> I've been I've been working with Azure for quite some time, as have you. And as as one of the really first services in Azure was virtual machines. And we've we've kind of talked about VMs a bit here and there in previous episodes. But now we wanted to focus a bit more on st- on the specifics. So uh, on remote access. So let's let's think about remote access first. And typically, when you provision VMs in Azure, you could provision them automatically, or you could click through the portal, or you could use a script or something else. Then it comes down to how do I access my VM remotely? So. So if you're provisioning a Windows or a Linux VM, what's kind of your default setting for remote access? What do you prefer on on doing a building in there? So to be totally honest, kind of depends a little bit on the workload. I my preference was not even access the virtual machine at all uh, uh, remotely. So if we have like imagine like a web server or something like that. Why? Why should you access the virtual machine uh, remotely from the internet? Doesn't make any sense. Most of the times, you just need to deploy something. So you're going to get like Azure DevOps pipelines, um, and you're going to deploy the code. And most of the times, look, you don't need to access the machines at all. And if you need, uh, we need to find a way to access those machines. And if it's like a Windows machine. Okay, maybe we need to do some kind of RDP session to it, but never, ever do that to the public IP address of the VM um, because there are so many examples online of how that can be so, so wrong. Um, you can read online and uh, there's it's very public, this one. It's from a company, a shipping company called Maersk. Um, mm-hmm. that it's, it's a very popular, uh, let's just say, uh, articles online about what happened to them. And one of the things that happened was that someone accessed to an RDP session of a Windows uh, machine and they got access to their infrastructure through that. So for sure, I'll tell you that, well, if we need, let's protect this with a private IP address so only inside the network the virtual network is that I will be able to access it. And of course, uh, I will establish some kind of secure connection to that VNet, like a point to site 
connection is like the site connection from my office you name it okay i need to find a way to get to that to that point but well today we also have new stuff i don't know if you already heard about azure bastion you did did you you see oh uh, yeah yeah i heard when it came out in preview i think that was uh that was after the summer holidays uh this year so in 2019 and and I had a quick spin with Bastion Host, but I didn't really dive deep into it yet. So so what's that about? So basically, with with Bastion is that you create an infrastructure inside your VNet, and you can, in just in short terms, basically through an HTTPS connection that you're doing to the Azure portal, you can do an RDP session to your Windows machine. So basically, you don't need to have 3389 open, which is an RDP port, um, not even, okay, uh, basically to, to the internet. So you just need to configure Azure Bastion. And then when you connect to the virtual machine, and if you go to the portal, you open the overview blade of your virtual machine. Usually you have on the top the button that says connect, and mm -hmm. you can do RDP. SSH connection, and now you have a third option called Bastion. And if you connect through Bastion, you just need to put your username and password, your Windows virtual machine, in that screen, you click connect, and then your RTP will just show in the browser. And I have to confess that it is quite responsive for what it is. I was not expecting to be that good. I was expecting to lag a lot, and things like that, but it doesn't. It is, it is, it is quite good, and you can do all your admin tasks from there. Um, that they were quite good. Of course, look, you're not, no one is expecting to stream video or something or playing a game through Azure Bastion. Um, those kinds of things, for sure, you cannot do. But for doing some administration tasks, it's, it, it is really good. Okay, so the setup that I would, I would then strive to build is that uh, when I provision my first VM, it, it forces me to provision my VNet, my virtual network at the same time, the, the first one. And then I would provision the Bastion host. And I think I can provision that when I try to connect with my VM and it will ask, would you like to use Bastion host? And if I don't have one already, it will provision one for me. And what it does then, it's, Am I correct in understanding that it provisions a managed VM that Microsoft has access to, which exposes the browser-based RDP endpoint for me, and then it allows me to connect to my VMs in the VNet? Yeah, exactly that. So basically, the, the, the Bastion enables basically a secure and seamless RDP connection to your, to your Azure virtual machine uh we don't need a public ip for the vm but it does through that infrastructure that is behind the scenes okay that will then do the connection a little bit as like for example in our design architectures that we used to design until now we usually use what um let's call a jump box okay so we always yep. have the machine inside the vnet that we only turn on etc and then you will connect through that one uh, uh, through an R, do an RDP session. So in here, Microsoft has an infrastructure behind the scenes that it just does, okay, just does that for us 
in the back. But it's totally transparent for us. Okay, so that's that's the beauty of the um, of the Azure uh, Bastion. Okay, is that it, it is done in the back for us. It's like what I usually tell my customers is that look. Uh, it, it is something that you should not worry anymore how it works. Of course, we are curious, we like to know, and we like to understand, but we don't need to manage the infrastructure anymore for that, which usually managing the infrastructure for this kind of stuff, it is not uh, something that your company will get a, ben a direct benefit for it. It's like when, when you're patching servers, what does your company get? in terms of business benefit from that, doesn't get anything. There's no new features. Uh, you're, not, you're not fixing anything, okay? But of course we understand that is a massive important task to be done. But when I move to Azure, if I have someone that does that for me, so that it's still being done, I'm still secure, but I don't need to worry about that anymore. So that's the beauty okay of all um of all this managed uh, managed uh, services approach okay yeah I, I definitely agree on this and you mentioned the jump box and sometimes called the jump server and that's kind of the classic solution we started doing in the 90s uh somebody would provision a vm in in 2000 and in the 90s it would be a physical server typically and you would grant access to select people that first connect to this jump box. And from there, you're allowed to connect to whatever services. And then you would run into all sorts of weird issues back in the day with terminal services licensing. That would be one. The other one would be that you would connect with RDP to a Windows server uh, on the console session, but somebody was physically on the keyboard already on that same server, and you could <laughs> kind of move the mouse, and the person on the keyboard would be freaking out, what's happening here? Somebody's moving my mouse and typing weird commands, and you would open Notepad and type in the Notepad, do not steal my session, I'm still working on something. So we could still use I, jump I, servers. I remember, I, uh, sorry, I remember those days, now that you're saying that, some yeah. good old memories came to my mind, yes. Exactly. It was fun, but it was also frustrating because you needed to do something. You might have a customer on the call. Yeah, yeah let me check quickly your server, why the database database is not, not responding. And you try to RDP through the jump box and there's like five windows open and five people fighting for the same resources. So today we can still create jump servers in Azure or in on-prem, of course. So I could spin up a separate VM in a separate VNet and, and just dedicate that to be my jump server. But then I would have to maintain and manage and secure and configure that myself. And now with Bastion Host, it essentially gives me just the capability of connecting to RDP or SSH to whatever I have in my VNets. Exactly that, yeah. So and and the magic of the um, so we have the magic of the managed infrastructure that does all that for us. It's it's quite an amazing time to working in, in Azure for sure. Alrighty, so Bastion Host, uh, that's one of the newest services that that we can employ. So so what about JIT VM access, just in time VM access? Do you have any thoughts on that? 
No, that's that's also a nice approach because uh, with Security Center, I can control um, when I will give access and to whom I'm going to give access to do admin tasks. That That's an extra layer of protection also that we can also put this all together with Azure Bastion and everything so that not everyone can get access uh, to all the machines all the time. Um, and imagine for me, for example, I, I, I'm, I'm working in a lot of companies as a contractor and I shouldn't get access all the time to their infrastructure and their machines. It's, 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 it's not secure. Something can happen to me. Uh, I can get rogue and basically start uh, to do all crazy stuff to their infrastructure. And look, they need to protect their business. That, that's also what I say to my customers. So just-in-time access, VM access, it's awesome because you can then protect when you I get access to touching your stuff um, and what time the sessions will last and things like that. And also, for example, if you're doing like support uh, for customers, if you have like a call, uh, basically imagine like a, a support center, um, any they need to do something to check something on virtual machines, etc. There you go. You can just uh, one of the people from the support the center. They just say, "Hey, I need access to this machine because of this," and then someone will authorize that person to do their tasks that they need. So it's again a great feature that we shouldn't use it alone. Of course, but all with this all together makes all the sense. Like, I don't know if you already use this or not in some of your customers, but I, it's something that my customers are always really surprised by uh, by using these kinds of features. And this is what makes the cloud uh, so attractive to them because implementing something like this on premises, it takes a little bit of more work. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, I've been I've been using GTVM Access with a couple of customers, and and I might say that those customers were they were needing and wanting something a bit more advanced, something a bit more modern, instead of having just predefined firewall rules. And they would trust that I'm coming from a select source IP and I would have access. But that would be a twenty four seven access, obviously. So, so with JitVM, I need to enroll Azure Security Center, and I recall I need to get the paid tier. So there's the free one, and then there's the standard one. And for JitVM, yeah, that's I, I, I'm, for JitVM, I need to get the standard one, and then I pay based on how many nodes, and a one VM would be one node, on how many nodes I'm managing to JitVM, and I pay based on that. And then I can just use it as much as I like, I think. Yeah, that's 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 correct. I think so. I think there is no limitations then how much you uh, you can use that as far as I'm, um, at least if this doesn't change because Azure changes so much, so much time that, yeah, I think that's that's the case. So that that's the um, not so good part of the of the, the, the JIT access. Um, because the, the the extra payment that you have to do. So some customers are always a little bit reluctant um, to use this uh, because of that that payment. But hey, it's my job, it's your job to explain them. Uh, well, the extra layer of security that this adds, and then 
um, I feel that if it was me to make the decision with my own budget, I will allocate budget for this for sure. It is a very, very important, uh, a very important um, uh, feature that I can have in my in my infrastructure for sure. Definitely, and and often I think we and and customers and Microsoft partners, we forget that that having people in your payroll do something that costs money as well it costs time there might be extra resources they need they might need training so investing in something like gtvm often makes perfect sense if that frees up time from your professionals to do more intelligent things than configuring firewalls and and, and removing old rules and and running these checks that who gets access to where so I would definitely agree on that, that it, it, it does cost extra, but typically that's a good investment if you can then use that save time on something else that actually advances your business. No, yeah, for sure. This is one of those features that really makes a difference. And um, uh, touching the part of the professionals that we are in our payroll, I always like to say something to, to basically when I'm doing presentations and when I'm doing training or even in customers and consulting is that I hate humans. Okay. That's, that's my thing. <laughs> I hate that's, them too. <laughs> okay, great. Because the problem is that they get sick. Okay. Uh, they leave the company. Then you still have users there that have high level permissions and things like that. So uh, we are horrible, all of us. So we, we should trust in something like a tool like this okay, to control the access. And, and, and not so much to the traditional way. And like you said, then there is a, an overcharge of uh, tasks that someone has to do it. And, and then what about if that someone leaves the company? You have to retrain someone else. Um, look, and that costs a fortune to the company. And usually companies don't have a way to effectively measure those costs because well, yeah, it happened. That person leaves. We need to retrain something, someone. And when I ask my customers, yeah, but how much money does that cost you? Um, if we just use a tool, it will just be easier. You just pay like 10, 15 euros a month per VM and that's it. Okay, you just don't need um, to pay training to persons. Uh, if they get sick, you also need another one that knows how to do this. And then when you are planning holidays, for example, you cannot leave those two workers to leave at the same time. You always need one of them in here and things like that. So it is it is not something that is easily measurable, but for sure, super important. Yeah, and I think often companies put that just to the cost of cost of doing business. Uh, when we started discussing the remote access and VMs, you mentioned that that why would you need to RDP or SSH to your VMs. And that's often the other problem here. You provision a VM, it runs happily for six months or a year. Then somebody RDPs to that Windows box and does something. You log in two months later and you get a pop-up that there's a pending reboot operation. And you have no idea what's going to happen when you reboot that VM. There might be pending file operations. There might be whatever change is pending. And once you reboot it, you are in a state of, of uncertainty for the VM. 
So in that sense, you need the remote access definitely, and you can use JitVM, uh, Bastion host, or plain old firewall rules and RDP and SSH through there, uh, through the uh, private IP address. But then again, I think it often also pays, pays uh, the effort to, to think first, why do we actually remote to these boxes? Is there a specific need or is it just a habit that we've been doing for 20 years and it just feels easy because we know how to do it? No, yeah, for sure. So uh, that's one thing that I try to change that mentality in, in, in my customers. And one of the latest projects that, that I did this year so we have a mix of infrastructure as code. So we are using ARM templates to build everything with Azure building blocks and also with PowerShell VSC. So these are state configuration so that we assemble the infrastructure. And then on top of that, that's the infrastructure part. Then we deploy the app. Um, and it's like, uh, because of certain reasons, we couldn't use platform as a service. So we needed to go to infrastructure. Um, but still, I wanted to bring some of the cool stuff that we have in PaaS. And one of those were like, I don't want the patch servers. And that this was a shock for everyone there. It's like, I'm not going to patch this, never, ever. And everyone was like, what the hell, Tiago is thinking about this? Of course we need to patch. So we don't get access to the machines. And when we, we, we have, of course, load balancers on that. And this is a big infrastructure. We have several machines and we have Azure monitoring application insights and all of this. And when we detect that one of the machines is just not behaving as it should, we basically kill the machine. Yeah. And we grab a new one. That's it. We basically from time to time, we delete all the machines once, one at, at the time, of course. Uh, and we replaced all the machines with new fresh images from the Microsoft Marketplace, from the Azure Marketplace. And, uh, you know, if we choose the version latest, okay, we always get the latest updated version of the machine. All this with a lot of testing happening in the back and um, with, with, with a lot of control. But all of this is happening automatically. Uh, this was a lot of work to put in place, I have to confess that uh, the team uh, the team did most of it but it, it is it is pretty it is pretty cool what you can build in the end and that infrastructure currently we don't do rdp sessions or ssh sessions for the the, the linux because um, they also have linux machines over there so we just don't do it okay and i think that with for example the approach that we Today we can have like with containers, for example. Do you really need? Are you really going to do a, a basically a, a connection to that? You're not. Okay, you just grab a place where you can put your containers, and you're just going to run. Okay, your your containers. You just don't need anymore. Okay, to do the traditional RDP session or SSH session um, to the hosts. Okay, you just basically put something to run there and that's it. Um, this is great if you're building an application from scratch. Okay, <laughs> uh, 
if you have legacy applications, well, that's just not exactly true what I was saying, okay? Of course, uh, if you have like an Exchange server on-prem, uh, that now you basically move that to Azure uh, infrastructure as a service. Same thing for SharePoint server, for example. Um, so all of that, you, you need probably to connect and to do certain things over there. That's for sure. I think there's an old saying that you can treat your virtual machines uh, like pets or like cattle. So if you treat them as, as pets, you name them cutely and, and you call them individually and you know their different behaviors. They, they almost have a, a will of their own. And if you treat them like cattle, that's exactly what you described here. If if one VM is misbehaving, you just, as we say in Finnish, you take it behind the sauna and put it down. And then you provision a new one and, and hope it will behave better. Uh, so the latter model definitely encourages the approach of not directly interacting with the VM, but rather use PowerShell DSC, use uh, PowerShell remoting, or use something else that we don't manipulate those VMs directly, but instead try to somehow automate and script that so that we can affect 10 servers at the same time if needed. No, exactly, exactly. I have, I, I use that exact saying in my, in my classes so that I make sure that my students realize that we shouldn't care about the VM infrastructure anymore. If it's not that one, it will be another one. And, 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 and that approach should be followed all the time. You will have, in the end, a more reliable infrastructure and a cheaper infrastructure to manage. And, and, and that's what I want. I want to add value uh, to customers. That, that's what, what every one of us uh, is, is currently doing every day in their, in their jobs. So um, we should always we should always do that. But in talking about uh, workloads and solutions, we could even uh, I improve. And uh, I always tell everyone that look, you should move also away the most that you can from infrastructure and move to something like containers or even use serverless today. And with serverless like Azure Functions or even like Logic Apps. Um, we can build such an amazing um, infrastructure for our apps without the costs of managing all of that. For example, with Azure Functions, we can run Azure Functions in consumption mode. Some challenges there still, yes. Like, for example, first time that your functions run, so the, 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 the boot time takes a little bit of time sometimes, yes. Um, we can improve that with premium ones, but still it's a little bit of a challenge over there. But it's it's awesome to run stuff in consumption. It's so much cheaper uh, to run things in consumption mode. I don't know if you already uh, implemented that in, in the wild, but is it is customers feel really, uh, really surprised by the quality of the of Azure functions today. Yeah, I, I love Azure functions. I use them quite a bit. Uh, and, and I often mix and match. I might have Azure functions, I might have logic apps calling those functions, or something else that then calls one of the serverless features. But then again, I still also feel there's often 
uh, a need or requirement on on running certain bits or certain style of code in a VM. And, and it might be, as you mentioned, an Exchange or SharePoint server. Uh, one project I was working uh, on last year, they had an old legacy BizTalk server. And obviously you cannot migrate that as a VM to Azure because the Windows server is too old, the BizTalk server is too old. But turned out that you can pay a bit more to get support for something super legacy in Azure to give it a few more months and then you can start building the modernization around it. So there's always a lot of different options to choose from. And I think that's one of the challenges when you work as an Azure architect that today you have to know the old things like the jump servers and, and, and how do I migrate things. Then you have to keep an eye on all the new things like Azure functions and logic apps and how they are evolving. And then there's the bridge between those and you need to understand how can I move this from the old world to the new world and somehow also save money for somebody. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I love doing my job. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's exactly like architect and then the challenge is that, that customers um, uh, put on you and and you're like, oh my God, that's that's cool, that's pretty cool. And that's also one of the things why I'd like to be in the classroom and teaching. Um, yeah. Because some of our students, they come to us and she says, just says, I have like this problem. And we're like, my God, I never thought about that. And that's pretty cool. And, and try to find the best solution for them that, like you said, saves money to the company. And also they have a secure, reliable, highly scalable uh, solution. It is, it is really, uh, really what attracts me to work in this uh, in this field and I, I I always tell some of my friends that if I didn't enjoy that much my work I was I didn't even know how could I handle all of this and I, I really respect some of my friends that they don't enjoy work that they do but they still go there every day and they try to be motivated I, I don't know if I could do that <laughs> to be totally honest with you I, I think I'm going to do it either, and, and I've always promised to myself that I will quit working in IT and technology when I don't enjoy it. And, and I think it's been way too many years already, but I still enjoy IT quite a bit. Especially now, it's, it's a great time to be working on Azure because it feels every week we are getting new announcements, new services, new capabilities, so there's always something to figure out something to learn. How do I fit this into my existing architecture? How would this help my customers? Uh, uh, yeah, so, look, uh, for sure. Even, even yeah. like a couple of hours ago, I was I was checking something that app services already supports .NET 3.1. And I was like, wow, my God, great. Now I can send an email to one of my customers. And then new Azure functions, the V3 Azure functions that we have, was announced also like a week ago. It's it's like amazing the change and the the, the rhythm of, of change that we have. Great time to work with Azure for sure. Definitely. So we talked about Bastion Host. We talked about a JIT VM as part of Azure Security Center. We talked about uh, creating just a VM and, and, and using RDP SSH or something other to manipulate the VM. So 
where does Windows Admin Center fit in all this? Is 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 it still uh, alive? Does it still exist? Should I still be using that? Well, uh, to be totally honest, with uh, with all these possibilities, um, I'm, uh, we wish why not use it? I don't say no to that, but and now Windows Admin Center they have like also good integrations with. Uh, uh, with basically with with Azure and uh, one of the features I never tried this one, but I read about that we can also run the cloud shell on the Windows Admin Center. I feel I feel that I think I read that somewhere, um, but I, I don't use it to be totally honest. Okay, and um, none of my customers feel that they are really needing uh, needing that. Not sure if it is correct or not, but as a as a pure architect, okay, I don't touch that well. On, on on that and and I don't feel the, the need because like I said I tried to run away from connecting to VMs and doing stuff inside the virtual machines okay yeah yeah I I, I fully understand uh, I set up a couple of instances on, on Windows admin center but this this was a rather old version I think it was uh, in early 2019 and one of the benefits was that you can quickly, remotely manipulate the settings of the VM, like open computer management remotely and see what services are running in, in a graphical interface and just let, let me stop this service instead of figuring out, oh, what's the command in PowerShell to stop this exact service and figuring out the service name. Uh, but also what I found useful in Admin Center is that you can remote to a VM using RDP in the browser, so it it felt a bit the same that Bastion host is giving me. Yeah, but then like, I, like, I like 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 Bastion, yeah, like yeah. exactly the same thing that we can do with Bastion today. Yeah, exactly. But I think I need to then uh, I need to maintain the admin center myself. So I need to have a VM. I need to configure. I need to have the certificates in there and and do Azure AD. Uh, integrated authentic authentication and, and all of that. I have to first build and then I get remote access capabilities. And with Bastion host, I click next, next, it auto-builds itself and I get the same capabilities. So to me, it feels that Bastion host is definitely if you're focused in the cloud and you're building solutions in Azure. And Windows Admin Center, I think it was already mentioned a year ago that that's the future of Windows Server Manager but you don't absolutely have to use it within Azure. You can use it just with VMs in on-prem as well. Yeah, the, the, the thing that um, that you get with the Windows Admin Center is in terms of integration with services is like uh, you can connect that for doing site recovery, uh, for backup, for the monitoring part for Azure. Uh, but it, it's a, a central point where you can do those kinds of things like you said. Um, that 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 will be the, the the advantage, let's just say, of of that. But like I said, yeah, well, there's an infrastructure to manage and all of that. That probably uh, most users and most companies they really don't want to do. And and one more thing that that uh, came up to my mind on why you should use Bastion Host and or JitVM instead of running your own jump servers is something that I often feel a lot of security uh, focused managers at companies are worried about, that they will build a site-to-site -site VPN between their on-prem network 
and one vnet in azure so the traffic flows nicely between azure that data island in the cloud and the on-prem data center and then they fear that what if somebody spins up a vm now in the azure vnet and exposes a public ip exposing let's say rdp to the whole internet and then there's no policy for some reason for setting a strong password or that the vm is not patched properly so the fear is that now we have an endpoint in the wild that somebody could exploit and gain access over the vpn to our internal network and we wouldn't really know what's happening here and and it's been maybe a year or two since i last heard this worry and i also feel that with bastion host and gvm we can also mitigate against this problem no for sure uh some of my customers they, they they have like those very traditional um security teams uh that all of that is like a huge concern for them so we need to educate them that what is azure bastion what we can do what can with jit access all of that and then uh they always have concerns about stuff that you can put inside the vnets etc so it's like mandatory for for them to have some kind of control on things that are running over there. And this is why um, some of them, they have appliances that control the traffic that you have there, uh, do like for stunling of certain traffic, um, changing routes on the, on the VNets so that they go to on-prem and things like that, um, which is sometimes is really cool what you can do today. Uh, but still really, it gets to a level of complexity that it takes a lot of people to to manage and understanding all of that. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, so to kind of uh, put this all together, that the analogy here would perhaps be that if you found, let's say you're moving apartments, you're moving to a new apartment, you're cleaning out the old apartment and you find a set of floppy disks and I'm sure all IT people still have floppy disks somewhere stashed away. And let's say you find your 3.5 inch floppy disk and, and you put it in, you might have a floppy drive laying around somewhere. You put it in and you, you want to see what's, what's in this disk and you find old binaries from 1995. You can simply copy those to your Windows 10, double click on those and they will probably run and do whatever they're supposed to do. And the same kind of goes with these remote access options. The old things, that the, the RDPs, the SSH, everything we've been doing for 20 years, they still work. But now we introduce additional capabilities, Bastion Host, Just-in-Time VM uh, access in Security Center, PowerShell DSC for remotely uh, manipulating the VMs upon provisioning or later on based on templates. And it's really up to the IT pros, the security admins to start using these modern ways and not hold on to everything old that they learned 20 years ago and they feel comfortable with now. That's kind of how I maybe feel, see this whole situation now. Yeah, because if you're, if you're going to use the cloud as you use on-prem, you're doing it wrong, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. with all the capabilities that, that you have today. 
you should just use is the, the capabilities that differentiate the cloud so that then, yes, I can run the same kind of workloads. In the end, for my users, it will be the same thing. But I can run it more scalable, more secure, and more ch and cheaper than what I'm paying on-premises. If you take what you have on-prem and you just run in the same way, well, you get some benefits for sure, but cheaper probably is not one of them. Good point. Alrighty, so to to close this episode, we've had the uh, the habit with Tobias uh, to teach each other a, a bit of our own na native language. So my native language is Finnish. Tobias is speaking Swedish. He's not here today, unfortunately. So let me try and teach you one word of Finnish, and 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 let's see how I how I do with Portuguese then. So the Finnish word that I've chosen for today, it's it's something that uh that I'm actually using almost on a weekly basis. So this is not a far-fetched word. This is actually something you, you can really use. And the word is pahvikahvi. And what it means, it's two words. Pahvi meaning cardboard, kahvi meaning coffee. So it's coffee in a paper cup. Typically it's lukewarm, it's not that good coffee. And you get it from a gas station or if you go to uh, let's say visit a bank and they have this really bad coffee maker in the corner. They will say, please have some of our pahvi kahvi. I like to call it the consultant coffee as well, but the Finnish version pahvi kahvi means not that good coffee you get in a paper cup. Uh, can you try pronouncing it? Does it make any sense for you? It doesn't make any sense for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I will, I will, can you say it again so that I can try Yes, so the word is pahvi kahvi. Pahvi kahvi. I, I, it's horrible what I said, probably. That's not too bad, <laughs> though. That's not too bad. Uh, and, and, and I realized the pronunciation in, in Finnish is we don't have any intonation. So we just say everything in the same intonation we, <laughs> we read it. So that makes it a bit harder. Alrighty, so, so what's your word? So now that you're talking about bad coffees, I will teach you something about good, proper coffee. Excellent. And um, if, you, if you go to Lisbon, okay, or, or to Portugal, every city, but I'll just go to Lisbon, which is the best city in Portugal. Um, and uh, you, you really want proper, strong coffee. Um, you basically say, uh, I want uh, Bica. Bica. So Bica is a short uh, espresso. Okay, just a, like if, but it's it's really proper and really really strong, and it's pretty good because that has a little bit of history. Uh, the bica word. So bica are the initials in Portuguese of drink this with coffee. Uh, sorry, drink this with sugar. Okay, uh, that was like 100 years ago when the people started to drink this. So they had a sign in one of the places that started to drink to to sell coffee over there that with the with the word bika so drink this with sugar because people needed to be educated because they didn't knew how to drink coffee because it was a kind of a new thing etc 
which I, I'm telling you this, and I drink mine without sugar, okay, to be totally honest. But of course, this is it. Maybe you can say, and my word is much simpler than you than yours. I didn't knew that you're going to make me say it, so I should have <laughs> chosen a very, very hard word for you, but mine is easier. I will repeat bika. Bika. I, I think it's a bit easier than my pahvi kahvi. Yeah, we said it perfectly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next time, or let's say the first time I, I get a chance to visit Lisbon, I will go to a coffee shop and I will say one bica. How do I say that in Portuguese? One bica. Uma bica. Uma bica. There you go. See? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, perfect. I can I can start booking my flight tickets now. <laughs> Alrighty, so thank you for being here. Uh, it was fun talking about the remote access options for VMs. I'll, I'll make sure to add your contact information as well uh, in the show notes, as, as well as, as all the main topics we discussed. Uh, thanks, Tiago, and take care. Okay, thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.